to Base Agenda, three hours of Drexian goodness for you this week. Got three great guests for you. Lots of great stories about Drexia. 
ton of their music of course. A trip down memory lane and maybe an education for some people as well. First up in uh, part one of the show we've got Abdullah Haq, the man behind some of the artwork that appeared on Drexia's records including the classic Neptune's Lair. In the second part of the show we've got Stephen Renix from Ireland, he's the man behind the Drexia Research Lab incredible website, the go-to resource for Drexia fans and all related uh, music projects such as Doppler Effect etc as well. And in the third part of the show we've got a great interview conducted by Andrew Duke back in 1999 with James Stinson, Macedonian producer Alavux has been working on it, tweaked the audio and it's come out much clearer than it's ever been heard before so a special treat for you. Regular listeners of the show will know I usually edit myself out of interviews, but for this first one with Abdullah Haq, I've decided to keep the whole Skype call in. It just seemed to flow much better that way. So we'll be talking to him about his work with Drexia, and in particular, an amazing project that he's been working on recently, the Book of Drexia Part 1, amazing graphic novel project. Crowdfunding finished on that not long ago. And there's a lot of people out there, myself included, getting really excited waiting for their copy of the book to arrive. So this conversation took place about two weeks ago when Abdullah was in uh, Birmingham in the UK as part of a very large, busy tour of Europe where he's been visiting record shops, giving interviews and doing live paintings. Good morning, how you doing? I'm good, I'm not bad, I'm full of cold, so forgive me if I uh, cough halfway through the thing. <laughs> hey, uh, shoot, I'm just getting over one too, I was trying to find something so I wouldn't cough all over ah. everything. Okay, well we'll, we'll, edit, we'll edit all that out, it'll be so smooth people will never know. <laughs> cool, cool, excellent. So you're in London now, is that right? No, I'm in Birmingham. Oh, you're in Birmingham, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Good, good, good. You, you got some uh, some promo type stuff lined up? Yeah, yeah. Wednesday we're gonna be doing a thing at a, a record store, and I think in um, hmm. or some kind of audio store, and uh, then doing a live painting later on. Okay, okay, cool. No, that sounds good, man. So you've been busy. I've been looking, following you on Facebook over the last couple of weeks since we first spoke, and. Uh, you're cooking up the miles, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've been really uh, visiting a lot of places, and uh, shoot, yeah, you're right. Uh, seen a lot of Europe uh, this time around, and uh, mm. uh, you know, uh, gonna leave Friday, so still right. got a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, it's good to see the work's getting so much interest, I guess, man. From from your point of view, that must be nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. Mm. So. Um, I mean, obviously, I know I know a little bit about your background. I'm a big fan of Drexia. That's why I do one of the reasons I do my radio show. Um, my show kind of attracts people that are really, um, you know, deep into the music and have, have, have loved it ever since. But also, quite a lot of people who are new to the music. So, um, I thought if we can do the interview from the point of view of maybe just filling in some some of the basics for people, so they maybe learn a bit is that cool with you yeah oh yeah that's fine yeah go right ahead yeah no cool man thank you so 
I guess going back to the beginning, really, as far as your involvement with with the Drexia project with James and Gerald goes, how did that all how did that all begin, man? Okay, well, the, my my involvement uh, occurred over twenty years ago now, when it was. Uh, uh, he, they were working on Neptune's Lair, and I was suggested mm-hmm. to James to do the artwork. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that their studio, in the place where they made most of their music, was only two blocks from a house. Ah. So um, James would walk over to my place for, uh, you know, like a couple hours. Uh, we met the shoot several times for a couple hours discussing different ideas and whatnot, and. Mm. That's how it uh, led to the Neptune's Lair artwork, mm. which uh, has several different Jackson concepts uh, introduced in the artwork of uh, that I did. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so the the kind of the, the underwater world vibe was already was that already in their mind when you met up. Or did you oh, for sure. That to, they'd already established that. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for for sure. He he, he had a whole vision of uh, underwater civilization. Mm. Mm. Okay, cool. And I was interviewing Stephen Renix yesterday, um, and we were having a chat about this, and we were sort of trying to, I suppose, what you tend to do with these things is you try and figure out where that's come from, or and we were trying to work out is it, is it escapism or is it you know the African slaves link? Is that is that a social comment? Because it's kind of it's not as in your face as some of the underground resistance stuff, which you can tell is you know blatantly about rebellion and resistance. So I just wondered if you thought that the the idea of a, a, another world was was kind of an escapism, was it getting away from. The- oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's both the social mm. commentary and escapism because it's uh, mm. based in fantasy, <clears throat> and um, but yet it tells the story of how the the people were severely mistreated inhumanely by murder mm. and uh you know it just tells the story of the slaves and how they crossed the atlantic but mm. with a fantasy science fiction fantasy slash uh you know story behind it which is uh mm. gonna be very powerful yeah yeah no for sure well it's captured people's imagination man i mean it's uh, uh the legacy is you know really really carrying on from your from yeah your for sure yeah, from your point of view, what is it you think that's, that's kind of kept the fire alive for for generations now? Well, the the, the, the quality of the music, first of all, is, is excellent. Sure. Probably the best electro uh, group of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Uh, I've, I've never heard anybody else. I've heard good electro, of course, but sure. nothing on the level of Drexia. I mean, it's just very obvious to me. So I think it's the music, first of all. And then the uh, backstory behind it is very captivating. Mm. And I think that adds to the legend and, um, you know, the, the mystery and all that sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I'm just curious to, to understand a little bit about the, the book that uh, I, I've ordered my hard copy, man. I can't wait to see this thing. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. No, I was talking to Stephen. We were both getting quite impatient about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it looks amazing, man. Um, oh, thank you. So, just curious as to sort of why why now, really, I suppose. Is there, is there anything that's kind of occurred, or is it just. Well, it was, since it was approaching the 20th anniversary of the 
release mm. and also the 50th birthday he would of james stinson he would have been 50 years this year yeah yeah um you know i i just thought the timing was right to try to do it i had had the idea for several years so i had the idea of several for several years to do you know some kind of character like this and uh mm. you know just everything came together and, and and you know just got more and more confidence to do it just based on um going to an afrofuturism conference in athens mm. and then a few minutes after that uh watching black panther so okay yeah, that really yeah. gave me a impetus to try to you know mm. come up with something like that and i guess i guess on a practical level too you know crowdfunding is a fairly new thing um which i mean i guess has really made it more possible yeah, to do yeah, something like that. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Our campaign was really successful, so I'm really grateful to all the fans that uh, contributed. And, you know, as soon as I get back to Detroit, I'm going to start mailing out all the different uh, perks and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Cool. No, nice, man. Yeah. So I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit for, because I'm, I'm, I mean, I've got some idea, but I, I'm conscious it's, I'd much rather hear it from you. But if you could give me some kind of a, a little summary of what Afrofuturism means to you or, or, or in the context of this this book okay well uh okay. afrofuturism uh back when i first started actually uh just about almost 30 years ago it, it didn't have a name we was just doing you know highly uh science fiction high quality science fiction concepts and art at mm. that time and uh you know it really didn't even have a name so later on uh i found out i was uh, classified under this this grouping so you know, sort of went with it, but to me it means, um, you know, uh, Africans or mm. uh, uh, African descendants uh, doing science fiction, fantasy, mm. um, and, uh, you know, and doing it at, at a high level, consistent level over many years. And in terms of, um, I know you mentioned, I think, on, on the uh, campaign uh, website page, so some of this money some of the money from this is going to go to James's mother, is that correct? Yeah, we, we gave the uh, 50% to the mother of James Stinson as soon as the campaign was, uh, you know, officially over. Mm. And uh, so she was very happy about that and yeah. really glad I was able to help out the family in some kind of way. Yeah, no man, that's really nice. That's really cool. She must be very proud of the legacy. Yeah, yeah, she is. She is, and she's very... Uh, you know, amazed at all the uh, different fans he has all over the world. Mm. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, we ch we ch I asked you if you could choose some tracks, which you kindly did for me. Um, yes. So these, I think you've said, are tracks that relate directly to scenes in the book. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, those. Each track has some kind of meaning, that's for sure. And. Uh, yeah. Yeah, remind me what they are again. I'm sorry. So no, don't worry, man. No, it's all good. Um, I've, okay. Uh, yeah, I just thought if we could run through them, maybe you could just give me a little bit of kind of you know background why they're special to you, why you chose any, anything along those lines, really. Um, okay. Yeah. So first off, this has got to be one of the most beautiful tracks the guy they ever did. I think it's a C to the power of X plus C to the power of X equals unknown. Oh yes, yes, yes. Powerful stuff, man. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, in, in, in just in exactly what you just said. So 
Mm. Actually, me and James talked about this very equation, and it was very important to him. So I am going to include it in the graphic novel. I think it's very deep, and and I'm going to have it be something that Dr. Blowfin is involved with. And uh, it's just going to be something that's going to be vital to how uh the 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 whole thing is formed and how they became who they are as as as, as uh, uh, ultimate warriors and drexians and yeah that's a very important equation so that's mm-hmm. why uh it's going to be involved in one of the stories and um yeah it's very important to james too so okay yeah. cool 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 so the values of c and x they have some kind of meaning that yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, I'm not too good at math, so <laughs> join the club. <laughs> I was horrible at algebra and all that sort of thing. But he yeah. he explained several things to me back then about how it was important to uh, energy and mm-hmm. how it was related to polymonoplexus gel, and right. uh, you know, it was just a very it was it was a, a very important equation. So that's mm-hmm. why I, I thought it'd be important to to make it in the in the in the first graphic novel. Wow, man, cool. I wonder where he got all that from, man, because that's, that's not... Nah, he was just a, a genius. <laughs> I mean, it just was coming up with all these ideas. I didn't even realize it at the time, how brilliant it was. I mean, my goodness, it was just all sorts of yeah. ideas he was talking about.
cool. And then Bubble Metropolis, another great one. Particularly, oh, I, yes. I, I, well, love, this, the, I this, love the vocal. The, you know, the, yeah, the I mean, it was so obvious. The, the story's right there in front of us. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, a young woman directing in a ship across the Aquaban. I, I, I mean, I could just visualize it in my brain already. So, mm. well, we decided to do a story behind it. And that's why this is included in the book. Is in the the script is her words. That's in the mm. song, pretty much mm. word for word. And um, you know, we put a, a, a you know pictures behind it. And she's a young Drexian, and she mm. has a lot of responsibilities on the Aquabon. And mm. um, you know, we we just wanted to put the. I mean, this 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 particular song was was really one uh, you know that 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 really had a story yeah. that, that spoke to me so mm. i decided to do it it almost paints the picture for you i suppose in a way yes yes for sure yeah yeah that's yeah, yeah. this is drexian cruiser control bubble one to Ladozian cruiser 8-203x please decrease your speed to 1.788.4 kilobonds Thank you. Lardozian Cruiser 8-203X, please use extra caution as you pass the Aqua construction site on the side of the Aquabond. I repeat, proceed with caution. This is Thomas Barnett from Detroit, the Techno City, and you are tuned in to Base Agenda.
Buzzer 8-203X. You are now clear for docking. Have a nice stay here in Drexia. I'm Drexian Cruiser Controller X205. If you have any problems, let me know. Bubble Control 1 Yes. Amazing. Time. Yeah, well, I mean, the old guy at the beginning, for goodness sake. I mean, mm-hmm. him talking. <laughs> you, you, that's, that's like from a movie or something. So, um, yeah. you know, we decided to make a whole story about these wave jumpers. And it's going to be, it's the longest story in the graphic novel. Mm. And just wanted to dedicate uh, a really quality warrior battle story mm. to what uh because you know jane I, I think it was behind the vision as well the, these guys were were warriors and mm. we we have a story about that and uh you know it, mm. it, it's, it's 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 very graphic mm. and bloody mm. and uh you know and and at the end, as we know, only two survive, two remain, two remaining wave jumpers. So we tried to show that as well. Mm, mm. Yeah. No, oh, cool, man. I look forward to checking that out.
And is um, I mean, obviously you've got the support of, of uh, James's James's family, and I know you, I think you mentioned in the the crowdfunding webpage that that Gerald Donald is is behind you, of course, as well. Yes. Is he having any kind of sort of veto on 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 what what goes in, or is he kind of just giving you? Full freedom. He's just were. pretty much giving me free reign. I mean, pretty much. Wow. I mean, um, it's just pretty nice. I, I, I let him know, mm. you know, what I'm doing, and he, you know, just says cool. And yeah, that's, uh, that's nice yeah, I, I can pretty much do what, what, what I like. Wow, that's fantastic. Cool, man. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'm no artist, man. So, I mean, I can't, I can just about do a stick, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I'm curious because obviously, you know, when I look back at Neptune's Lair, I mean, the colours and everything that you used back then, and, and what you've got sort of in the in the book now, you've definitely got a kind of a theme with the palette going on there. I'm just curious, how did you? What what sort of medium were you working in when you did when you did the earlier earlier stuff? Like oh Neptune's? well, I did that back then in, in acrylics and watercolours, I believe, and. Uh... Mm. Yeah, I just, um, you know, tried to make it look aquatic as best I could back then. Yeah, yeah. No, sure. And now, are you, are you kind of doing the same thing, or are you working a bit more digitally? Or Yeah, well, I do, uh, I, I am going to have some digital art in this uh, upcoming um, release, as well as traditional paintings. So, mm. just going to be a mix of everything, and... Um, mm. Uh, the, the 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 comic book mo- uh, the graphic novel for the most part is traditional comic book style, and uh, yeah. I'm gonna have several paintings throughout it though. Mm, mm. Okay, oh, cool man. I was just curious about the future. I think you mentioned that, that this is this is book one, of course. Yeah, I think um, we we this can be continued into several stories going into the future. I personally made the Drexian timeline over 500 years to 600 years from six the 1600 so this is mm. going uh, into our millennium and uh, you know mm. I, I think it's just a, a, some powerful stories contained in many of the songs um, just not the the ones in the first issue just, we, we have many 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 more I mean there's 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 shoot tens and maybe tens of stories that's for sure mm. yeah no I can believe it yeah and of course later on in their discography they move they seem to me move more into space away from so are you are you kind of going to try and cover that transition as well presumably yeah 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 the, yeah eventually the Drexians will go into space and uh, you know mm. discover uh, different star systems and you know go back to Grava 4 and uh yeah, yeah. See what's happening, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it, man. I think I'm so. I think it's so cool what you're doing. I really do. I really hope it, uh, it all goes smooth for you. No, cool, um, cool. Thank you. Hey, no worries, man. I, just one thought just came to mind. You mentioned Black Panther earlier on. Um, this is a really random, off the wall question, so you can shoot me down if you want. But I just wondered if if you were going to choose, if you chose an actor to play James in a movie, who do you think you'd like to see do it? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a hard one, man. This I is really... what happens. This is what happens when I have too much echinacea. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man, I, I really don't know, man. Shoot, did he? Uh, <laughs> man, he, you know, man. Out of the, the actors we got now, mm. uh, 
probably um yeah okay the leader who challenged Black Panther at the beginning oh right from the Gorilla Tribe the, the, and then and then later on he saved them and later on he saved them um later on in the movie he saved them no I'll do my yeah. homework man I might just drop you a message to make sure I'm not I don't want to read out the wrong thing on the show. You know? Yeah, yeah, man. No, no, no worries. But uh, I don't want to tell people you think Chris Rock should have done it. <laughs> that, that's right, man. But uh, whoever, whoever that leader of that gorilla tribe was, uh, I think he. Yeah, no, I can picture it. I can, I can see it, man. Yeah. Wow, this has been great, man. Thank you ever so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, no it. No problem, man. It was my pleasure. And, uh, and then um, thanks uh, for supporting the book. Uh, shoot, as soon as it comes out, I will mail it to you, and you know maybe we'll could talk about it or something. Yeah, man, that'd be really nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, that's great, man. Have a good day and good luck up in uh, in Birmingham this week. All right, thanks a lot, man. All right, keep well, man. Thank you. Just speaking to Abdullah Kadim Haq there. Fantastic stories. Real honour. And it turned out pretty well considering we were both full of cold as well. <laughs> for those amongst you who know their Black Panther trivia far better than we did, the actor that uh, he was referring to that could play James Stinson was Winston Duke, who played the character M'Baku. Little bit of music coming up and then we're going to get into the second part of the show with Stephen Rennix, the man behind the Drexia Research Lab website highly dedicated fan of Drexia who's been archiving and chronicling just about everything that's uh, related to Drexia over the last 15 years or so. We're going to hear from him about how he started the project, his take on some of the mysteries surrounding Drexia and he'll be choosing some of his favourite tracks as well. A worldwide voice in electronic and dance music. Deep Space Radio. DeepSpaceRadio.com we are on TV.
time for Stephen Rennicks to tell you his story. Talk about Drexia. If you want to check out the Drexia Research Lab, head over to drexiaresearchlab.blogspot.com. 15 years of incredible information, interview, video, audio, you name it, all curated by this man. Great stuff coming up. club called Funk City in Dublin in the late 90s. It only ran for just under two years and friends of, my, of mine ran it. Uh, they a group called Decal. And they brought over lots of people like, you know, on uh, Reflex Records. So they're quite into brain dance and Autepra, Plaid. Um, so there was a lot of UK people coming over and they would have been playing stuff like uh, Doppler Effect. I'm not sure if they really had played Drexia on the dance floor. Um, I was interested, but not obsessing about the music. Not yet, anyway. Um, so I was just happy to be in a club and dancing. And uh, there was also a bar club downstairs, which would have been more, like I did start to DJ there. So that would have been more people talking about music. Just enthusiasts. Enthusiast. And you could, kind of the downstairs, you could play whatever you wanted. You know, you could play rock, you know, but whatever but I had some electronic stuff as well when the club closed down I started to take a big interest then I really missed the club um, because I think the venue uh, came to an end um, so the club had to go elsewhere so there was quite a gap then and I talked to DJs uh, who were friends of mine and they would mention people like Drexia, Doppler Effect and to uh, maybe get the AUX88 Presents Electro Boogie uh, compilation and that might have been where I heard both Drexia and Doctor Effect for the first time, I would think. So I got that on vinyl and obviously still have it and, and love it. And then I would have got Dave Clark's X Mix. Um, he did a, a, could have been called Electro something as well. I've got it here on CD somewhere. Um, so that would have also had Electroids, Doctor Effect and possibly Drexia. So I started to hear them probably on mix, within about the space of a year, I started to hear them on mix tapes, uh, mix albums and things like that. But uh, but definitely Drexia, because of Dave Clark, because of people like, like that, even The Advent had licensed two Doppler Effect uh, tracks rare, in, in 97. So basically from that I kind of got um, the Doppler Effect compilation uh, that was out on Gigolo at the time. It was very popular at that time. It had, had come out, I think, in 99. Um, and then, of course, I got Neptune's Lair in the same year, which would have been 99, um, or possibly early 2000, you know. So around the same time, I got those two albums. And then that was like a, a huge um, thing. I mean, at that time, talking about them in particular, it would have been um, a friend in a record shop, Graham O'Sullivan, a spin, a spin dizzy in Dublin. Like, once he knew I was a Drexia fan, he was telling me, "Oh, you got to check out Jerzyklas and Arpanet, and all." And it was fantastic to find out. And I wouldn't have discovered that without people like like that. Uh, now the internet, of course, you know, would have been 
helpful for that. But at the time, it was word of mouth for me. and you're listening to Base Agenda.
was 2005 when I started doing it. And um, I just felt like what I had done in those last... It, like, when James Simpson died, I think it, it... I mean, it was a huge shock, but it was like... It's hard to, to describe it, but because we didn't know anything about them, to hear that someone that we didn't know anything about had died was strange. Um, and and we heard it through the internet. So I can't exactly remember if it was word of mouth, but definitely it traveled because of the internet. Um, so I suppose it was such a long time ago now, it's like nearly 15 years. I think before that, or maybe after that, I started to take a big interest in the interviews that he that he had done. And I started to, in a very old-fashioned way now, I would print them out, you know? Because, you know, in the, some of the early days of the internet, you weren't sure if something was going to be there for, for very long. So, and something like an interview with Drexia was precious. So I, I printed out everything that I could find. So there was some interviews with, with Techno Tourist, with uh, Andrew Duke's Cognition Audio Works. There were a couple of things um, that were online, Future BPM, and I just remember printing them out and sort of saving them. And at the back of my mind, I thought, you know, it would be really nice if you could go to one place on the internet and just read all of these. Because by the time I, I mean, they would have been done in 2001, 2002. By the time I started the blog in 2005, some I noticed that some of those web websites were disappearing, so they, they didn't exist anymore, and the the uh, interviews were obviously gone. So I thought that there was something that I could do, I as a, really just to honour James Dinson's memory was just to archive all of his interviews. That was the first sort of project, but to do that, I kind of had to start the blog, come up with a name, you know, and sort of. And once I'd done that, that was quite a big, big post to sort of put everything that I had in sort of categories um, and then have all these quotes. Um, then I kind of, once that was done, I suppose I just decided I was going to keep doing uh, posts about Drexia, Doppler Effect, and anything else that, that came along related to them. So it kind of grew out of initially a desire to archive his, his interviews. Obviously, people send me information as well, so I don't. I don't always have to go digging for it, you know. Now, there's always something like Doppler effect are going to be playing live, or you know, Ultradine are doing something. But then there's like a reissue, or someone's done a mix. I mean, sometimes there could be a backlog, um, and if the if I ever kind of run out of stuff, I just go on to the main original Drexia Research Lab site, and I just sort of look at things randomly, you know jump jump to it and I might find oh that I'd forgotten all about that some interview or some fanzine thing or something or some mix or, tr or a homage or some some track and I'll listen to it and say well it, that's good enough to share you know deepspaceradio.com Thank you. 
I liked, uh, well, I, I definitely liked Doppler, what Doppler Effect were doing, the early Doppler Effect. You know, that was very accessible for people. And I, I think the Drexia stuff on Neptune's Lair was also quite accessible. Um, it was, um, so I would just had it on tape. Like, um, the first edition I got, I was happened to be in Poland, just on a holiday. And I remember buying that album on tape. And... Um, playing it in my car then for a long time afterward so it definitely soundtracked a lot of my journeys through the city uh, and I really got to love the album through listening to it in that context uh, and the Doppler effect I had that on CD and you know I just used to play it a lot um, so I suppose it, I felt it very accessible very catchy hooky I definitely um yeah, that, that stuff had a, a groove. It was more, yeah, the funk thing was there. Uh, er, earlier stuff, which I might talk about, was harder. It, and lots of experimental things as well, but much harder uh, for the dance floor. But that stuff was, was really, I mean, recently, uh, uh, the Carola Stroiber from Trezor was talking about uh, when Neptune came out on Trezor and the staff were talking amongst themselves before like when they heard it, heard it first they thought it was a, quite a different album like uh, for them like dreamy I think she used the word you know uh, and, and you know for them obviously some of their records would be you know obviously they're not all hard records but I suppose she felt it was quite you know for their audience it was maybe uh, unusual and maybe it was more something like something that would come out on Warp or something maybe it wasn't but I think it was a great that Trezor put it out on their label and it did introduce them and I think that's one of the secrets of Drexier that they worked with all these different labels and they started to appeal to all these different uh, audiences um, and all of those labels um, like Clone Reflex Warp Trezor and obviously Underground Resistance they all had their own PR and their own distribution companies so you had so they were hitting a lot of different marketplaces I think um, and somehow yeah that, that really made uh, that, so they got quite a w wide audience um, through working with all those different labels um, so it was clever I don't know how calculated that was but I think it was very clever because the music uh, isn't just the, the same like when you get to the other people place it doesn't you know it does belong on maybe a different label and, and under a different so it made sense that they were different labels but it was a it was a clever thing to do Thank you. 
it was accessible, but also the mythology, even at that stage. Again, this word of mouth thing. I remember people telling me, "Oh, there's this, you know, Drexia. They've got this whole um, underwater world, you know." And that was very intriguing. And all all the track titles, you know, um, kind of uh, build it into this big, bigger picture. So that was very intriguing. Um, as well, and that well, I suppose with Neptune's Lair, it's obvious like it's a concept record, but with the 12 inches, it's not so obvious. Even though, if you get two of them, I suppose you start to you know, there's a theme running here, but um, I suppose with, with Neptune's Lair, it made it very obvious uh, that, that it was a concept, and, and I like that. I, I mean, I was obviously drawn to that, and, and the mystery I think the mystery was important uh, for, for a lot of people. People do like, at that time, we didn't know either of their names. We knew they were from Detroit, and, you know, they had a long history already at that stage. Um, but, you know, there wasn't, like, you couldn't really, at that stage, I don't remember being in any interviews with them that I was aware of, you know. So it, there was just a lot of a mystery around the band in, in 99, Neptune's Lair. Um, it, with hindsight, I don't think there is. There were some interviews, but at the time when you were just buying it sort of blind and you were just talking to your friends, you didn't know that there were actually were one or two interviews here and there. So it, it was pretty, it was a very pure record uh, and experience that you weren't, um, there was no sort of, there was no DJ part, there was no live aspect. It was just a record and the record like all sort of great classic records, it, it brought you literally, in their case, into its own world. some tracks first one up goes back before the days of Drexler in fact James Stinson project track called data transfer the very interesting pre-Drexler release from 1991 which they put they seem to put out on their own label and um, it does sound very similar to the countdown has begun which again would, like three years later in '94, would would be, be released as a Drexia track. It's like an er, early run through. Um, so I mean, James Stinson, we don't know what. I mean, he, he would have been 21 or 22 when this was released, but he, he could have been 18 or 19 when he recorded it. You know, we we don't know. 
Um, so I, I've always, and I think it's a fantastic track, great electro track. And the other, well, there's uh, the other two, there's two tracks on that 12 inch that are hip hop, which is a completely different um, with an unidentified rapper who may be Clarence. So it's a, there's a lot of mystery around that record. It's been acknowledged that James, you know, produced it. We don't know who the rapper is. So I think that's a, an important uh, piece of the puzzle, you know, um, if you're, you know, for, you know, and I think it's very, it still works. I mean, it's how many years ago is that now? Nearly 30 years. And that track in particular really works really well, I think. This is Billy Nasty, and you are listening to Base Agenda. Life After Mutation 12-inch. This is another mysterious pre-Drexia release on Robert Hood's Hardwax label. There is a track called Radius of Infliction, and it's almost, I think, like that 
life after mutation 12 inch is a little bit like the Rosetta Stone of Drexia because um, for me I think there's an alternative kind of um, theme that they might have been thinking of before they settled on the uh, uh, aquatic kind of uh, mutant sort of thing that they did because there it seems to be much more about um, a kind of uh, mutation due to radiation. And I know that Mad Mike has talked about um, Drexians living in the sewers in Detroit and water pollution, you know, in, in Lake Michigan. And I don't know if it's almost like they had this early, to me, you know, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but when I, the way I look at it is uh, they were still trying to decide uh, what were they going, how were they going to present this, what the theme was going to be. And they were thinking about mutation on some level. And they were thinking more maybe about uh, due to, you know, as I said, radiation pollution and some sort of hybrid, you know, human coming from that and then probably within six months they they decided oh we're going to do you know they're going to be underwater they're going to be you know in the ocean not in the sewer not in lake michigan you know they're going to be it more in oceanic now i could again i could be wrong about that but for me it's just there seems to be life after mutation the name of the project um just going by the track titles but again you can read you can you can misread a lot of things as well in this, but and I think it's brilliant for the fans. You know, like they can, their imagination can just go where where you want with this stuff.
hydro cubes uh, on Drexia th- number three. Um, like I think that yeah, I think it's this riffy track. I think that at the time was kind of a breakthrough track. Like I've seen uh, like Brendan M. Gillen of Ectomorph has talked about how that track was very important because um, it, it's like almost a, a kind of a riffy like sort of deep purple kind of uh, or somebody else maybe he mentioned it's like almost heavy heavy metal you know in a way like in that, that riffy kind of way like people could i don't know it's hard to explain but um something like that will bring people in uh, because they can re- they find something to relate to like with doppler effect early doppler effect they can relate to you know the vocal and there's there's a way in and you can sort of oh yeah i get this it's sort of funny you know this sort of a but then you know the music starts to work on you and you you start to notice the other stuff so i think it's a good introductory track for people um hydro cubes and again in my opinion i think it still works very well and that's that's from 95 uh, and this was just before they took a break you know so i mean i think that they were incredibly productive uh, between 92 to sort of 95 like they did so many, must have been doing so many tracks at that time, and then really the uh, the break comes in ninety six, as far as I can make out, late ninety five, ninety six, um, because when the return of Drexia came came out, there's a Q and A in a fanzine, and James calls it aged wine, because so he's saying in ninety six that they're old tracks, you know, so he's not producing any music in 96, 97, 98, you know, and then at some stage, you know, 98 or early 99, they start to go back in, in the studio. So so, so I'd just like to say that I think Hydro Cubes came out and all that music from the 92 to 95 period um, was really, you know, a huge amount of material was recorded. They were very uh, productive in, in that time.
is Detroit's filthiest, and you're listening to the number one underground bass agenda.
Mystery World from Electroids is another uh, great track. Uh, and I think Electroids may well, in the same way that Dropper Effect uh, in the late 90s got people into Drexia, uh, I think it's quite possible that a lot of people might have heard the Electroids album and then discovered Drexia. Because, you know, I think, I mean, I wasn't listening at the time in 95, but just from the the amount of people that discovered it and talk about hearing it at that time. And uh, I think, and again, it's a very accessible album. You know, it's, it's not an, it's an album. It's very much, it's a home listening album. It's a dreamy album, you know, and that would have brought a lot of people. I think there's a lot of uh, people that would have been drawn into uh, hearing more after listening to that album. So I think Mystery World is a very good example of a, of a track that really drew more and more people in and it's perfectly titled as well.
I think one of the first discoveries that made me kind of that I think is quite an important thing um, is like again this was a, a verbal thing that one of my friends I think he in the early days when I was just starting to get into them he burnt me a copy of Electroid's uh, Electro World and I remember him him telling me there's a track on the end of there's a secret track at the end of this album that is from Neptune's Lair you know and that's a triangular hydrogen strain and I mean I think so I don't know if that's the most special but to me it was the first kind of thing that sort of struck me as really intriguing because that's there's there's a four-year gap between 95 and 99 and and a lot happened in that four years um, because Drexia took a took a break uh, due we think to James James's health problems so like they made I mean and it's not like a re-recording or it, it's the same version if you can compare it as far as I can tell it's the same track four years later so in 1995 like when they're putting out the Electros album Warp Records and they hold back this amazing track and potentially they have like lots of other tracks recorded from Neptune's Lair and they're holding them back for four years and, and they do all these other so it, it is it does open up a lot of questions about chronology of when things were actually recorded uh, I think I think that is an interesting one and we're never going to maybe get to the bottom of it but it was obviously all we know is it was recorded it was there and for some reason they sat on it not only did they I mean they could have put it on the quest not not, not the time you, you would think that. so that one is an interesting one to me and uh, when you really start to think about it uh, what, what they had sitting there and what else were they sitting on and they would have had a track recently, uh, Digital Warlock, uh, that would have only come to light last year or this year uh, on the, again, an Electroids track uh, on uh, the 12-inch uh, of Kilohertz. I mean, again, that, that's a hell of a track to sit on and not release on the album.
What's up, y'all? This is Paris the Black Fool of the Detroit Grand Poobahs, and you're listening to Base Agenda. show with Gerald Donald. Uh, I had the pleasure of emailing and texting him for a little while. Had a very brief handshake with him in Amsterdam a couple of years ago. As many of you will know, he's not a big fan of interviews. However, Stephen Rennix from Drexia Research Lab has had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times, and I asked him if he could tell me a little bit about those occasions. Yeah, I've met him uh, twice now. and um, So I met him in 2013 in Dublin when Arpanet played. So... Uh, a friend of mine actually was one of the promoters, so he asked me to DJ and would I also do a talk, you know. So I said I, I would, and then I realized, well, you know, on the night that I'm really talking in a nightclub to a bunch of people who don't really want to listen to. But actually, but they did listen because was, I was the first person on, but, you know, it was pretty nerve-wracking uh, because, you know, and then I was, so I did a, a talk more about mystery and music and obviously talked a bit about Drexia as, as an example of that uh, but you know so they invite, invited me to do that and I met uh, Gerald and Michaela uh, who happened to be there as well uh, before the gig and we were talking and we did go out for something to eat uh, so that, that was nice there was a couple of, of us uh, so so yeah it, it was good to meet him there and then I met him a good few years later at another event in Dublin Doppler Effect played 
and again we talked uh, at that I was doing a, a, a talk there was myself and Richard Brophy who was interviewed uh, James Stinson so the two of us did a talk beforehand and then there was a DJ and then Doppler Effect played so that was only uh, I think in 2017 so I met him twice and every now and again we email but really you know I don't really ask him any questions about you know I'm quite happy to be a fan who just gets the information the same way anybody else gets it I think you know I just look you know so that that is the way I started doing it and I prefer and I don't think he would even tell me anyway you know so I don't even you know I mean he's very friendly uh, the first thing he did he did like thank me you know he didn't go into detail but he just sort of said thanks you know so I just took it to mean you know he approves of you know what I'm doing um, well I, I'm really guessing now but I suppose he just wants to leave it leave the mystery because he has the power to dispel the mystery and I suppose and he just doesn't want to even go any, anywhere near that and he doesn't need to I think he's happy he's successful he's doing what he does he doesn't need to and Drexia itself is it's bigger than ever now and people I think more people are interested so the less they say about it directly the better
I think when they got the, the other people place, let me be me. There's just something about that track, you know. Um, it's very beautiful. The whole album is beautiful, but that one, I, I'm definitely from looking on forums and um, comments on discogs. Like people really to like that track, and uh, I mean, I've written a piece about the album. And, you know, it's just a very simple thing. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to just wanting to be who they are, discovering their true selves. It, it, it's a very simple and universal message. And that's a long way from, you know, um, sort of uh, other tracks that they've done. You know, it's a long way from uh, that previous track I, I was talking about, yeah, Hydro Cubes because like instrumental so like to have like the whole instrumental techno instrumental electro thing going on and then have this totally other side which is has vocals very emotional you know very atmospheric um, I mean it's a huge uh, uh, change uh, to, to have uh, and you know so and, and to master it not just to sort of dip their toe in the water and just sort of do it at a surface level to actually master the form you could say it's quite, quite something so I think that, al- that, that track in particular really stands out off that album And then I think something like, you know, a personal favorite is Bermuda Triangle from Abstract Thought. Because it's such an epic, you know, um, it's such a big sounding track. And again, it's, um, you know, and it's, I think it's very timeless. It's hard to, to describe really, you know, but it just works. It just has one of those indefinable qualities that when you hear it, you know, it kind of works.
I mean, I think someone like uh, DJ Stingray, like he, even though the music is, is it's different to Drexia, obviously, but like, and he doesn't use the the Drexian part of his name anymore. But I think um, he is somebody who he's keeping the spirit alive. He's keeping that connection alive. And I'm sure there's lots of people that get into DJ Stingray and then find out about Drexia through him. So, so I think, I mean, this this leg, this thing is just going to because because of people like him and maybe Abdul Hack as well doing his you know um, paintings, live paintings, and and. The now the new the book of Drexia, like there's people on the fringes of their world uh, that are quite you know quite well known uh, that are going to help keep keep them you know if the, if the music doesn't keep them there, I think these other people uh, that are still actually doing creative work is going to be able to keep them in people's mind. Like it, it, it's such a long time ago. And like the people that are listening to Drexia now, a lot of them weren't even born when um, when the first you know, 1992 when the first 12 inch came out. And you know, so they do need. I mean, look, do they need? I mean, I think history is incredibly important. Uh, so we've got to keep keep uh, it somewhere. You know that you can go and okay, we've got Wikipedia, you've got things like that. But like his interviews, I mean, if people want to go looking, if they get interested in the history, I think the information, it's so important to have archived, accessibly archived for people to easily get at. Listen to me, what we do here, it's fucking essential. It's like oxygen. The world's dying of a thousand heart attacks. We heal them up. It's a goddamn public service what we do. It's not, it's not, that's the only reason to make music. Music, 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 music. I suppose when you get to Gravifor, their last sort of statement, as it would sadly turn out, something like High Tech Nomads, I think, is another st- standout track. Uh, on an album that that, that is fantastic.
my own kind of perspective of kind of archiving stuff on, on the website and on the Facebook page, like there might be a few more uh, James Stinston interviews that haven't come to light yet. And those are fascinating. I mean, today I was looking back at one when I was coming up with an idea for a post. And, you know, I, I read something that made me just totally change my mind about a small aspect of Rexia. You know, so there's all these nuggets of information in, in there. And uh, so I think that would be good. And I think it's worth saying that uh, because Drex- because James did all those interviews, uh, like they had, like at the start, it, for whatever reason, they were much more secretive. There was mystery there. But then after, from 2000, even in 99, that really did change and they did quite a he did quite a few in interviews and he was on radio in detroit and i think they were sort of evolving it wasn't so important and i think they would have played live in fact that i discovered a couple of years ago that they did play live in detroit once yeah so i've written a, a piece about it on the uh, blog and so so they would have started to play live they were already doing interviews uh, much more than they were before. So, you know, if he had lived, like the secrecy and the mystery uh, would have been confined to the early days. I mean, who knows? They could have gone underground again after the storm, uh, but they were certainly breaking cover and they were, they, he had things to say from what I can uh, tell. He felt he had a lot of things to, to say and he got to say them in that last year of his life, which is important. Uh, and before that, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't have so much to say uh, or thought the music, maybe that was all that was important. And I think that is, but I think he, he obviously, he was evolving, he was changing as a person and he felt there were things that he wanted to talk about. from Detroit. This is Adult. And you are listening to Base Agenda.
up next we've got about uh, 30 minutes or so interview with James Stinson from 1999 recorded by Andrew Duke from Cognition Audio Works you can check his site out uh, cognitionaudioworks.com tons of great stuff on there this guy's been putting out radio and mixes since 87 so a nice rabbit hole to go down there later on for you I was in two minds for a while as to whether to put the interview into the show just because the quality um, you know this was recorded from a phone back in 99 so the quality isn't fantastic however Alavux has done some work on it cleaned it up and if you tweak your volume up and down a little bit you'll pick up most of what James has to say some really nice stuff in here about the concepts of Drexia his attitude to making music his attitude to other people who make music and confirmation that he's one of the coolest guys ever to come out of Detroit I reckon when I got Andrew Duke's permission to use the interview I asked if he could just put some words together just to give me a little feel about how he felt about doing the interview he wasn't in a position to record anything unfortunately but I've got a few words here so I'm just going to read this straight out to you I've done many interviews over the years. I actually got a scholarship to take journalism at King's College in Halifax, Canada, but was let go from the programme because I was spending all of my time, instead of in class and doing assignments, doing radio shows, DJing and writing music articles for the university newspapers. Because of the many that I did, I got to interview a lot of heroes and the practice overrode any nervousness that would have happened otherwise. The Drexia interview was truly the one interview where I was nervous though. An hour or so before, I actually called Brendan Gillen from Ectomorph and he gave me a pep talk to help me get through the jitters. I knew I was talking with James Stinson, but it was important to me that I treated him with the respect of having it as 100% talking with a Drexian. It was a truly magical moment in time for me as a journalist, but more so as a huge fan. Cheers, Andrew Duke. Before we get into the interview, here comes Andrew Duke's favourite Drexia song, Positron Island.
How do you do? I'm, I'm, go I'm going to chat with you about getting friendly with music. And, and right here, and right, and right here, I'd like to mention the gentleman who has done so much to help me get friendly with music. Me and thousands and thousands of other people. Right, right here, let's listen to what I mean. Tell me about the ideas and concepts behind Drexia. Well, basically, they just come from their side, you know, um, the way we feel with the, um, the vibes of the music. And um, whichever way it takes us, that's the direction we're going in. Um, so as far as the, the titles and uh, the songs themselves when they're being created, um, it's just basically wherever it takes us, the current takes us, that's where we're going with it. So um, at the time, the title could pop up at any time uh, a song can pop up, but there's nothing that's really pre-planned, so. So you've said that, that we float, is that a good uh, a good description? Well, more or less flow with current. Okay, you've also said that uh, you move against the rules. Tell me about that, tell me why that's important. Well, I guess you could say to do something different. You know, try something different. Because sometimes you might have, um, I guess you say, physical laws and property that say that you can't do this and it's impossible. Why not give it a try again and see what else can happen out of it, you know? And, um, say, for instance, like the, the laws of probably the different music styles and the way it's supposed to be arranged and, and um, it's supposed to be like this. Well, technically, we have no rules and way structures of what music is supposed to be. So that's just when we are aware we just do anything, you know, and uh, make it beautiful. So it's all about controlling and harnessing the energy. Yeah, because a lot of uh, a lot of your a lot of your tracks sometimes they'll be like uh, they'll be like full tracks, and other times they'll just be sort of like uh, sort of like a brief a brief look at, at something. You know what I mean? Right, right. But that's that's right on the money because um, it's just another view uh, of the world of tracks, you know. And um, I guess you could say it's just, say it's just where we're at right now, you know. It's just part of current, so I mean. Because you might be going down some rough water this time. Next time you might be on some calm, still water, you know. Um, next time you definitely you might hit a whirlpool or something like that, you know. So it all depends on which way we're going to go with it. So. Well, tell, tell me about uh, tell me about Lardosia. Well, Lardosia is just another city that's um, on the outside of uh, the other side of Drexel. Um There's many different cities around there, and as time goes on, we'll bring them forth or whatnot. Um, Especially just another place, just right over the um, Red Hills and whatnot. And um, it's just a different, just a different, very calm, tranquil place. Um, where things just very, uh, it's just like easy going. You know, it's not really that hustle and bustle and uh, so forth. So it's more or less carefree and just very mellow, like trance. You know what I'm saying? Right. So what would a Drexia concert be like? Well, that's just to be seen. So, what I believe I feel like this, um, it'd be a hell of a show. You know, it's going to be a show that just an appearance of coming up there and sitting in front of some keyboards. So, once we get ready to come out and make our appearance on stage, it's going to be a show. You know, so that's the way we want to do it. <clears throat> so it's going to be a full-fledged concert, not just as a, at a party or something like that. 
you know, at halftime or something like that, you know. Um, when we do our shows, it's going to be um, a concert to where you come to see us and maybe a few other people, and it's going to be a concert. Then afterwards, it might be like an after party or something like that somewhere else, but it's, it will be a full-fledged concert like it's supposed to be. Now, would you want to do that underwater? Um, yeah. <laughs> anywhere. Hey, anywhere. Sewer. <laughs> underwater. Swimming pool. Shit in the middle of a swamp. <laughs> in the back alley somewhere. It doesn't make us different who live here anywhere. You know, it's like it all depends. So. Tell me how the, how, how the water relates to your music. How, how it relates to drugs here. Well, water has many different properties. It comes in many different forms and many different shapes. It's one of the most, well, the most powerful element that's on this planet. And um, it comes in, like, different sizes and different weights. Um, that's what we see our music. You know, we just about coming in in different shapes, any size that we want. Uh, the truth of the length of the song, how aggressive the song is, how transparent, or how big, you know, it is, uh, how pure, how double it is, it all depends, you know, how fast or how slow. Same property in water. You know, water runs fast, water runs slow. And um, it's the best way to, I guess, put a, a visual picture in your mind of directing what we're all about. You know, so you have to go hand in hand. I mean, you have to have all the dimensions. As far as you have to have visual, you have to have um, the sonic side of things. And uh, you have to have a purpose, a concept. You know, to make it live. So once you bring in the, the world of Drexia and the people and um, how they're living their lives, you know, in Drexia, and then you put the, the element of water, which is the basic element of life, period, you know, for anyone. So once you factor in all these different things, then, you know, this is how Drexia's basic trusts are. How does, how, does the, how does the water itself... Um, uh, how does that affect the music, like uh, music underwater as opposed to music above water? Well, like I said, just, I mean, you can use it at any degree. I mean, like one time that, say, for instance, the time that we get ready to go into some rough rapids, you know what I'm saying? Or um, just strong undertones and whatnot, or better yet, maybe it's just steel, you know, very calm, it's just a very gentle flow. So when you're making music, it all depends. You know, it'll tell you which water that you're in. So. Okay, well, tell, tell me why it is so important that you, uh, that you don't make, uh, that you don't make uh, it easy for people to, uh, to understand Drexia, because you could, uh, you could lay it all out on the line, but you, uh, you don't do that. You hold back. Like, I know in some ways I'm, a, I'm asking you a question that I know the answer to, but it's also because it's an interview that I had to right. ask, I have to ask you about that. Right. Well, basically, you can let people, I guess, they tap into their mind. You know, you use that creativity. And you have what? You know, what you think. You know, I'll put it out here for you. And I give you enough to where it's like,
encounters with that intentionally. You know, let people, you know, hey, stimulate their minds. You know, take them deeper into the world's race. You know, instead of just leaning it out there to make it kind of dull and boring. You know, because once you have something that's like a mystery, you know, it, um, people enjoy that. Instead of just having something that is old, like, oh, hmm, that's very simple. It's just a couch over there in the corner. You know, but if you have some weird, transparent liquid chair over there that's fairly moving, you know, you want to take a closer look at it and go like, what the hell is that? You know, they go, oh, damn, that's, that's supposed to be a couch? You go and sit down on it and it like wraps itself around you and caresses you and it's like, make you go, ooh, you know, and put little chills on your back, make your hair raise up on the back of your neck. You know, that's what the kind of effect we want to, that we put into the music. You know, to where it's a 50-50 thing. It's got a little bit of a mystery to it. So, so you want you want your music to be like a like an exercise, like a process, as opposed to a, a final result. So it, it can be different for 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 everyone. They sort of get back what they put in, sort of you know push pull give take kind of thing. Oh yeah, action and reaction. You know, I mean, I rather have something to where it's going to stimulate you and it's going to move you in a different way than to have something that's just there and it's humdrum. You know, and kind of boring. It's just the same typical thing that you know. Every single day, you know. So, okay. Well, this, <clears throat> pardon me. I've got a cold here. Let, let's talk more about uh, about Drexy again. I want to know uh, what's it like to to ride a manta ray. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's pretty fun. I mean, she's dashing through the water. You know, it's like almost like a dog. A little bit slower at times, but um, not too many people do that. Well, tell me, tell me some more about, uh, about, about Drexia. About, because uh, you said that you've, uh, you've told some people about uh, some things like the, the Red Hills and, and things like that, but uh, what are some of the other things that, that you'll be telling us about? Well, basically, one of the main things they're working on is the, the lab that, um, that's who's there. And um, right now we're in the process of, um, I guess, doing a lot more uh, experiments and whatnot. And, um, so on the forthcoming, uh, yesterday, years or whatnot, you'll be hearing a lot more experiments. And, uh, that's the one thing we're going to start doing through the time now to go back and do some more research on some, um, different kind of elements and whatnot. So, um, like one of the things, the uh, monopoly uh, plexus gel, you know, and, um, that's, I guess you say the gel is, it's a lie. It's not a lot, you know, as far as, like, it was on the top side, you know, it kind of just disappear. That's what I'm saying. The energy that makes it live is from the energy that lives in direction to the magic, you know, and it comes directly from Earth because the amount of plexic gel and, um, um, strand taps itself right down to the planet. So the planet actually gives itself life. So, and if you actually look at the album, there's a lot of different titles and stuff that, you know, names different um, elements that's on there that goes along with it. So, I'm kind of made that one that's a little bit of a mystery for the people kind of, you know, go along with that and follow that. And I'm waiting on some feedback off that, um, off the email address and, you know, that people tell them they think about that. And if they can follow the concept. Thank you.
again, this is the question that I know the answer to, but I have to ask it. Tell me, uh, tell me why it is important that you're, uh, that you took, that you took a break and that you've, uh, you've come back now with Lep Neptune's Lair and why you're, uh, you're doing things in, on your own terms as opposed to, uh, when you actually release material as Drexia as opposed to, you know, some artist that might put out stuff on a more regular basis. Tell me why that's so important. Well, there's no difference between, you know, then and now, but the only difference is, is that I feel that we need to start picking up the pace. You know, I mean, um, because like I said, you know, still just might put out some stuff over with Mike or whatnot, you know, you know, that's 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 a given, so but we're just gonna pick up the pace. You know. And um Big planet, 
and the stuff on everybody. The thing is, as long as you don't step on each other's toes, you don't try to push each other down, then it shouldn't be no problem. It shouldn't be a conflict. You know, the only time I have problems when people will step on my toes or try to, you know, do something like that. But, in other words, it's a big one. You know, like I said, you're going to have those who make this just a problem. And that equal problem, that equal trip, you know. And that's fine with them. You know, that's that's them. You know, so whatever they do doesn't affect me. You know, because I'm only responsible for what I do. You know, so. Well, tell me, tell me what what was uh, what was the catalyst that uh, that took you into the the world of Drexia when you began? Was it was it something like uh, Cybertron's Alleys of Your Mind? Or was it something before that? What made you realize that you had to do this? Well, well, it started with um, music. It started with music, period. Um, it even started before then. I mean, it really had to start like back in the disco era, you know, with some of the, the more underground type disco songs, you know, that with a real heavy bass, rich bass to it or whatever. And, um, and it really started picking up into a lot of part of the 70s where, like, the Cybertron came out. And then through the whole 80s and the whole 80s, the whole musical revolution in the 80s. I mean, it goes across the whole entire board from rock to punk to, like I said, new wave to R&B to funk to techno to hip hop. You know, so it, it, the whole music scene really molded us to that. And um, at that point, it was like we have no choice but to do it. Because, you know, we're busting at the scene. It's like, you know, it's like a very ripe grape. <laughs> you know, and you get ready to transform over to a great, uh, a race. You know what I'm saying? Life goes on. So in other words, kind of like, you know, just kept going. Until we just grew to the point to where it was like, okay, we're old enough. We have the, the energy inside of us to start tinkering around and do what we can do. So when we started messing around a little bit, we found out, yeah, you know, this is what we should be doing. We went in that direction, so... What what is Drexia's relationship with uh, today's music technology? Because we have we have uh, basic tools that people are still using, like the the uh, the Roland eight hundred eight, which we which you use. But we also have a lot of uh, computer programs and things like that. Because I know you don't you don't uh, do more than uh, one or two takes of your music, and you try to keep it very pure and very of the moment and very spontaneous. So what's uh, what's Drexia's relationship with today's music technology? Well, sad to say that, um, well, not sad to say, but just, just plain and simple, um, first we never do a record on the computer. Um, I feel like this, in order to continue pure music and the sound and, and the way that we feel, we can put our souls into it. We can't transform our soul onto a computer. You know, the way it come out, that's the way it is. Sort of like if there's a glitch or a pop or something in there, I'm going to leave it in there. I don't want my stuff to sound so clean and so pure that it's not real no more. You know, it's not human. You know, I came from eras where, you know, music was music. It was music. You feel it. Your soul. You run into your bank. With some of this computer stuff, it's so clean. It's so, you know, right to the... <laughs> it's so, so there that you lose that human perspective. You know, I don't want to lose that human of, and I feel that too much, and when it's too clean, you lose that, and it becomes not real, it becomes synthetic, I don't like that, you know, 
Cody, he had these futuristic, you know, what's on, but yet still, that kind of have a human side to it. And I don't want to lose that. And I can't put, like I said, my soul into it. Everybody's on the computer. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. You know, and I won't do it. You know, so as far as, like, when it comes down to it, um, the final process that's fine and dandy do what you gotta do but when it's being made I don't think so forget about it you know but there's nothing wrong with computers yeah I have computers I love but when it comes to the music forget about it you know I hope is that part of the reason why you, you've uh, you've gone to back to using the 808 instead of the 909? Because the 808 seems to have more of a, a warmer type of sound. No, we use it all. You're still using you're still using a 909. Yeah, but not recently though. Um, so it was in the shop, but <laughs> kind of blew it up. So I think we put too much stress on it. So that's the reason why you know people haven't really heard it too much. But it's on uh, one of these albums. I mean, I want uh, these records here, though. And, um, so, so, so we get out of the, out of the, the like I said, uh, the hospital ward, you know, so we'll put it back in action, but right now it's kind of moving, so. How important do you think that uh, that gear such as that has been to uh, to the music? Like, uh, what if, what if, for instance, uh, Roland had never created the uh, their uh, you know the 808 and the 909 the 727 and things like that. How would uh, how would how would Drexia be if, if that didn't happen? Well, we would be using something else. We would probably be using a lot of drums. I mean, drum machines were never created. We would be using real drums. So and um, so and if we never no no one have ever heard uh, 808 drop or 909, then I don't think none of us would miss it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So actually, it was never came around. I don't think nobody would mess that you goes to speak of, you know, future equipment to be made now. That it was some, some new sound or something, new process had, you know, was about to be developed, but we don't know about it right now. I mean, hey, how are we going to miss it if we never knew about it? So. Now, how do you feel about the continued popularity of Electro? Because uh, it, it's always been there. It's always been like a, a lifeblood of Detroit, but it seems like the world, uh, back a couple of years back, like 97 or so, it's sort of like the world clued in and said, you know, oh, well, you know, they, they made it seem like Electro had come back, but it was sort of like Electro was always there and they got the impression that it had come back. So they sort of had a, a false impression of it, but you know that it's always been around. How do you feel about the, the continued popularity of Electro? Well, it's good because actually it shouldn't have left because, um, well, I can tell you why it left, is because people stopped putting the, the energy into it. They stopped putting their lifeline into making it because, you know, if I was on the with Electro, Electro was very versatile. I mean, Electro comes in many different forms, you know, better, better than, um, uh, acid or some sort of other ones. You know, those are the things that are one specific type of way of producing. With Electro, it comes in many different forms, many different speeds. And it's very colorful, very flamboyant. And that's why I feel that it never left. And it's going to stay here. As long as people put their creativity, put their creativity together, and put the energy into it, and it, it have your work, you know. So, well, is there any is there any uh, any groups in Electro that 
you don't seem, don't think are, are doing electro justice? Um, no, because like I said, I don't pay attention to that. That's not my, that's not my place to judge no more. So it's, so it's different strokes for different folks. It's okay if people are, are doing the different things. Exactly, because some of the fact I like this, somebody out there is going to like it. You see what I'm saying? It's a big world. That's the reason why we make our records the way we do in a 365 degree angle. Um, to where, I mean, a 360 degree angle to where, um, somebody's going to like it. One of those, somebody's going to like one of the songs on the record. You know what I'm saying? That's why they're not all in the same thing. You know, you might like this record, and this guy might not like it over here, but the record that he like, you might not like. You see what I'm saying? So, it's a little bit for everybody. So you're listening to a remastered interview with James Stinson. Interview conducted and recorded by Andrew Duke from Cognition Audio Works back in 1999. Lots more great stuff to come. On, on people that are that are doing uh, doing music and, and just starting out doing music. Well, I'm happy because that's what I want to do. Because I want to keep on that lifeline after us. You know, just like the torch was passed down to us from Juan and um, African Bambada and a whole a whole bunch of other ones who were before us. They passed the energy down to us. So I think it was our job in order to keep this going for us to pass it on to the next generation and let them do it. You know, but if I don't put my energy into it and my spirit, my soul into this music, 
how they ever want to tap into it, how they ever want to grab it. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm working so hard to do. It's because I love this damn music and I'm going to die doing this music. You know, and I want to keep it going. You know? So you'd say music is the most important thing to you because of what you can express through it? It's the third most important thing. What are the other two? God and my family. Um, now you've said that you're uh, you're you're holding back on doing any traveling until 2001. Oh well, touring probably. Okay, well, what's what's uh, what's prompting you to wait, and what's prompting you to to do things in 2001? Well, I feel like this 2001, nothing that's not like a 10th year anniversary since um since we've been doing this, and um at that point in time, I think that's our breaking point. And I think that's one of the times we'll be celebrating, taking to the road that third, fourth, and beyond level, you know, but if right now we've really just been doing tests for the past 10 years, you know, flip birds, if you want to put it out, um, whatever else you want to call it, you know, just test and see how, what people like, you know, like, you know, and um, just mold the thing, you know, and see if they want it, and if they're ready for it, you know, radical, different ways of seeing things you doing you know, that's different from the norm, you know, because people got set in a way to where they were going to listen to one specific type of music and it was just straightforward. Anything else, they wouldn't really give it a try. They lost that versatile listening, you know, like we had back in the 80s. Because back in the 80s, I mean, you listen to them to anything, especially if it was good. And we kind of lost that. But now, people are starting to get their ear back to where they're going out and they're sampling, you know, sampling this taste this, this taste of that. You know, they're going to dabble here. They find out that, damn, this shit is good. You know, so. So around about that time, we should be ready to really go out and really kick us some dust, so. Uh, do you feel the same way about uh, about today's uh, today's radio and today's uh Today's DJs, the ways that they're presenting the music, because in uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's you're not going to hear you know different styles. You're not going to hear the B-52s and and Prince and you know George Clinton. You're not going to hear a, a variety of, of types of funk. It's going to be someone is playing house or someone is playing techno or someone is playing electro. Do you think the people that are doing that are doing a disservice to the music? Well, I'm like as long as they're still playing a variety, you know, that's all that makes a difference because, you know, something people really can't get into right then and there, they really have to, you know, it's a different way of listening to it. You know what I'm saying? Say, for instance, like, um, good example, like, back when hardcore rap came up, like, we'll say, for instance, Ice-T, you know, Ice-T had none of his records on the radio, but he had a deal, he was very successful, you know what I'm saying, by word of mouth. You know what I'm saying? So, it's the same thing here. I mean, as long as you still have a versatile, now, have you heard the uh, the craftwork, the new craftwork material that they did for Expo 2000? No. Are you interested in hearing that, or you're interested in in, in focusing on uh, on what you're doing? Um. Well, just as soon as I get out of the studio, I'm going right to the record store. So I stole. Yeah, as soon as I get out the lab. Um, so craftwork is, is still important to you? Yeah, everybody's important to me, man. Like I say, it's a time place for everything, though. Everybody's important. It's the thing that, you know, when I'm working, I kind of like keep everybody with me because I don't want to pick up the energy. You know, but everybody's important. I mean, I love everybody. I love music to death, you know. I still buy records. You know, I listen to the radio 
picking up the pace towards the year the year 2001 how is it how is that going to influence when uh, there there that uh, another Drexia album comes out and it, and you had mentioned that you uh, you you have plans on doing more more material on UR but you also have plans of doing stuff on Trezor well, I'm going to do records wherever, wherever we go. You know, wherever the flow takes us. I mean, we might end up on um, La La Lipstick Records. You know, it don't make a difference. The thing is, Drexel is still Drexel. You know, we still going to do whatever we do. It's not the record label that makes we make the records. You know, we make who we are. You know, just like, you know, you make the money and the money don't make you. And that has no influence on who we deal with as far as on the business end. And we don't tie the two together. You know, we keep that separate because once you start mixing business and politics, you know, into creation, then that's when you have a problem. So when it comes down to that, it really doesn't make a difference. You know, as long as it's being, um, as long as the money's right, you know, you get paid like you're supposed to and very trustworthy, um, that's all that matters to me. And I have that trust and that honor that you want to do what you said you're going to do and you want to pay me like you're supposed to. So I can, like, put the money back into the lab and do what we got to do. You know, I work. So, but when you screw that up, that's when we have a problem. So, push it out. I don't care. So you probably have a lot of a lot of respect for Prince and what he did with uh, with leaving his record company and and uh, showing people that uh, that you can do it another different way and, and like Chuck D of Public Enemy with them and, and doing stuff as well. Much respect because I mean, if you get screwed in a situation to where they're not working with you no more. You gotta do what you gotta do. You know, because, like I said, they did it because they love the music. You know what I'm saying? And they're not gonna get somebody because they're on practical ways to do on business to stop their love for the music. You know what I'm saying? That's what it was all about. That's why I respect them so much. Because they have that much love for the music that they said, screw it. I'm trying to do his album on the internet. You know what I'm saying? The record comes from mad as hell. And they wasn't selling it. <laughs> Some cuts that they didn't sell. I mean, people just, they could just download it. You know, they was pissed off about that. to talk about uh, a lot, talk about other people's music but I did want to want to ask you about that in, in relation to what we just talked about and that is uh, Sony Records in Germany has just uh, done a, a transversion of uh, Rolando's Jaguar yeah. And uh, have you heard about that situation? No. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, the uh, Sony Germany did a, a transversion of uh, Rolando's Jaguar, and uh, Mad Mike is, and Rolando are obviously very unhappy about that. What would you? Uh, how would you react? <coughs> pardon me. React to a situation if perhaps Sony Germany had done a, a cover of, say, Positron Island, something like that. Well, first of all, I mean, they don't own the rights to it. They don't have a right to do it, so we'll sue the fuck out of them. But. Um, you know, but Mike's gonna be unhappy. But I don't know how the situation went down, but I'm pretty sure if they're unhappy about it. You know, evidently it's not right. So, you know, but um, I can understand because, like I said, I don't like, you know, I don't remix my songs whatsoever either. So, and if they release it, it's something like that. You know, whatever their principles on the way that they see things, want to do things, evidently they didn't like it. <laughs> so, and um. You know, I'm backing them 100 percent whatever, you know, how they feel about it. So, uh, it was wrong, it's wrong. So, again, I think it comes down to the, the purity of, of making music for the music and not the money and the egos. No. Like I said, money does play an issue in it, but it plays an issue in order to advance what you're doing. That's the way I see it. You know, 
And of course, we do it because this is your only um, your way to, I guess, break bonds and take care of your, your life support, you know what I'm saying? Then you have to do what you have to do sometimes. You know, and you have to use that money for these basic necessities. I mean, you just can't go out there and just, you know, tell somebody, give me this deodorant right here so I can put it on my arm so I won't stink. You know, and I'll give you some money, whatever. <laughs> you know, catch what I'm saying? So, I mean, sometimes, yeah, money does come to an issue, but it's for practical reasons of survival. You know, basic necessity. But not to the point to where it's like I'm greedy, 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 and I gotta have a million dollars in my pocket to have a million dollars to go buy me a Lamborghini and all this kind of crap. You know? So, so Drexy is doing music because Drexy is uh, is compelled to do it because, like you said, it's like a, a basic necessity to be expressing this. Yeah, it's a of us. You know, and this is what we want to do. But the thing is, too, I mean, we capitalize on the business side of things, too, and, and uh, make some money out of fun. But like I told you, I make money. The money don't make it. You know, I mean, yeah, I can do a deal for like $5 million. But the thing is, what I do with the money will be on a point to where it will be to support the things that I'm doing. You know, for my big money. And I think if I deserve that money, then I deserve it, you know, for my hard work. You know, so I think you should be able to deserve it. Okay, well, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you much longer. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we didn't go over or didn't bring up? Anything that was that's uh, you know been on your mind and been on Drexia's mind that you wanted to to put across to people? Because I know I know you don't do very uh, very many interviews, and um, Corolla was saying that you didn't plan on doing any more interviews for a while. Yeah, I think like so it's probably gonna be over another two years or so before we actually do another uh, just interview on the magazines and stuff like that. But like I said, uh, people can always reach us through email and stuff like that. We can always, you know, chat like that. But uh, as far as doing magazine interviews, you know, we're not going to be doing that. We're just going to go back to doing what we've been doing for the longest. You know, it's my touch and go here and there. But um, that's basically about it. So, so basically, people just going to be telling us and hearing us through music. So, you know, stuff. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, thank you. Okay, no. okay bye-bye. Bye, 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 bye. Amazing stuff. True visionary. The music of Drexia still having massive impact today. In fact, if you listen to some of the music that's being put out there right now, some of the leading electro artists haven't strayed too far away from the blueprint James Stinson and Gerald Donald laid down all those years ago. And with people like Andrew Duke, Stephen Rennix and Abdul Kadim Hack in the world, there's no doubt the legacy is going to live on. Hope you enjoyed it. Full show. With Tracklist, will be up for download at some point over the weekend via soundcloud.com slash bassagenda. Also via the iTunes feed too. Deep Space Radio, we're going to keep playing uh, shows from the Base Agenda archive every Friday at this time. I'll be back with a new show next month for you. Until then, have a good weekend. Cheers.
Yo, this is DJ Digital. Thanks again for checking out Andy on the Base Agenda Show.